0: In one section of his marvelous little book called The Index of, of Leading Catholic Indicators, uh, Kenneth C. Jones summarizes the results of a series of recent surveys which have been done to determine the beliefs of American Catholics. So I'll just pick a few of the results, just a sample. Eighty-seven percent of American Catholics feel the Church should permit couples to make their own decisions regarding birth control. 77% of American Catholics believe a person can be a good Catholic without going to Mass every Sunday. 70% of Catholics aged 18 to 44 believe the Eucharist is merely a symbolic reminder of Jesus Christ. 68% believe that good Catholics can practice some form of contraception. 65% believe good Catholics can divorce and remarry. believe Catholics can have abortions and remain in good standing. 90% of lay religion teachers in Catholic elementary schools, 90% disagree with the church's teaching on contraception. 74% of these teachers, lay religion teachers in Catholic elementary schools, 74% disagree with the church's teaching on abortion. And not surprisingly, the surveys show that 80% of American Catholics Believe that it's possible to disagree with the Pope when he explains the official church position, the teaching of the church on morality and still be a good Catholic. Now last week we talked about a director of religious education at a Catholic parish who just corrected a friend of mine for his use of offensive language. The issue was she didn't feel comfortable when he referred to God as our father because she preferred to think of God as our mother we saw that she has a fundamental confusion at the level of the faith, and as we said, she's not alone. And certainly these statistics, I don't know what the reliability is, but they indicate quite clearly she is not alone. In fact, is that poor, confused director of religious education not alone. In terms of basic, fundamental confusion about matters of the faith, she's in the majority, obviously. Serious error, heresy, and apostasy are the norm for Americans who still identify themselves as Catholics. Now, before we go any farther, let's not forget to keep praying for these people, especially to Our Lady. Let's keep praying for these people who believe these crazy things, because if we don't pray for them, who will? And besides, there's probably more than a few of us here who've been saved from some of these very errors, huh? Okay, so before we go any farther, let's review. Last week, we looked at the virtue of faith, and we considered three points. What faith is, what we believe by faith, and why we believe it. What faith is, what we believe by faith, and why it is that we believe it. In answer to the first question, what is faith, we saw that faith is a supernatural power that gives us the ability to accept whatever God says is true. It's a supernatural power that gives us the ability to be able to truly say, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And we use the example of the Blessed Sacrament. We don't believe that by the power of natural reason, huh? It is not obvious that our Lord is there, body, blood, soul, and divinity, whole and entire, and the most blessed, sacred altar. But we believe that. Why? Because God said so, and he gave us the ability to believe it. It's an ability that's above the nature of man. Okay? So, in answer to the second question, what do we, what do we believe by faith? We saw we were bound to believe everything contained in what's called the deposit of faith. We saw that the deposit of faith are all those things which are contained in the word of God as found in scripture and tradition. We also saw that in order for us to know what we ought to believe, our Lord established a visible church of true teachers. He did not establish an invisible church of true believers. Our Lord established a visible church of true teachers and promised to be with that church, the Catholic church, until the end of the world. So it's easy for us to know what to believe. We have to believe all the truths which the Holy Catholic Church proposes for our belief. In answer to the third question, why do we believe these things? We saw that we believe these revealed things not because we can see they're true with the natural light of our reason. We don't see that in the Blessed Sacrament, for example. That's not obvious. Baptism is not obvious for the light of reason. But we believe it because of the authority of God Himself who revealed these things, the God who can neither deceive nor be deceived, okay? All right, today we started by listening to some startling statistics about the beliefs of American Catholics. Statistics like 53% of American Catholics believe that Catholic can have an abortion and yet remain in good standing. I think they're all in political office in Kansas. We drew one conclusion from these statistics. We're accepting people here, but I mean, there's a lot of these. We concluded that serious error Heresy and apostasy are the norm for Americans who consider themselves Catholics still. The majority of American Catholics today identify themselves with positions that would have been condemned by Luther or Calvin. And that's the reality that we're living in. The majority of American Catholics identify themselves with positions that Luther and Calvin would have considered completely insane and off the reservation. Okay, so much for the review. Today, let's reflect for a while on two of the basic misunderstandings in the minds of so many American Catholics, and we certainly include priests and religious in this category. Okay, first, many Catholics don't realize that the truths of the faith are not subject to change. The deposit of faith was given by our Lord to the apostles, and he sent down the Holy Ghost on him at Pentecost precisely in order to teach the apostles all truth. The deposit of faith is complete and final. There will never be anything added to it in any way. Never. Everyone needs to burn this into his mind. The deposit of faith can't Change. It's a done deal. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be lost from it. For example, there are seven sacraments. There will never be more than seven sacraments, and there will never be less than seven sacraments. That's the way it is until the end of the world. Seven sacraments. Our Lord did not forget to tell the apostles anything. The apostles got it all. God knows it all. He isn't going to have a new idea. He isn't going to learn anything, and he isn't going to forget anything, and he certainly doesn't need our advice on how to run the universe or his church. He's God. He fits the job description. He didn't forget to tell the apostles anything. They got it all, and because they got it all, that means the deposit of faith can never change. And not only that, once a particular truth contained in the deposit of faith has been officially explained, the meaning can't change. Here's an infallible teaching of the First Vatican Council. Quote, Hence also that understanding of sacred dogmas must be perpetually retained, which Holy Mother Church has once declared, with the same dogma, the same sense, and the same understanding. Close quote. End quote. If anyone says that it is possible that at some time, given the advancement of knowledge, a meaning may be assigned to the dogmas proposed by the Church, which is different from that meaning which the church has understood and does understand, let him be anathema. Close quote. What are we saying? We're saying that the deposit of faith, those those truths handed down by God to the apostles, can't change. It can never increase. It can never decrease. It can never change. We're also saying that once a particular truth that's contained in this deposit of faith has been officially explained by the church the meaning of that explanation can never change Okay, for example the council of Trent gave a very clear and official explanation of Holy Communion including the statement that if someone has committed a mortal sin he must go to confession before he goes to communion it's a done deal it can never change doesn't matter what you've heard elsewhere. This is the way it is. That can never change, okay? Now, some other day, we'll take a closer look at the contents of the deposit of faith, okay? A closer look at the scripture and the tradition. But today, everyone needs to burn into his mind that a deposit of faith can't change, either in terms of its content or in terms of the meaning of the contents, okay? Now that we've briefly considered the unchangeable nature of of the deposit of faith, let's consider the second major common misunderstanding, which is the actual relationship between the Catholic Church and this deposit of faith. Here's the infallible teaching of the First Vatican Council on this very point. Quote, So that we could fulfill our duty, our duty of embracing the true faith and of persevering unwaveringly in it, God through his only begotten son, founded the church. And he endowed his institution with clear notes to the end that she might be recognized by all as the guardian and teacher of the revealed word. Close quote. End quote. By divine and Catholic faith, all those things are to be believed, which are contained in the word of God, as found in scripture and tradition, which were by the church, as matters to be believed, as divinely revealed. Close quote, infallible teaching of the First Vatican Council. Okay, Father, let's make sure we understand just what you're saying here. Are we saying that God founded the Catholic Church in order to preserve and teach and explain the contents of the deposit of faith in order to preserve and teach the true faith until the end of the world? Yes, that's exactly what we're saying. Okay, Father, but you just quoted Vatican I, And that council took place in 1870. How do we know those claims are true? And that the Catholic Church actually teaches the true faith of Christ? And how do we know that's not just something they made up? 17, 18 centuries into the program. That is a good question. It's a really good question. There's a lot of people that have lost the faith because they don't realize the answer to it. It's not a stupid question at all. We'll let St. Irenaeus answer it for us. Now, who's St. Irenaeus? St. Irenaeus is a bishop of Lyon. He was born about 120, and he's martyred in the year 202. As a young man, he was a disciple of a bishop named St. Polycarp. St. Polycarp was a bishop of Smyrna. St. Polycarp was a disciple of St. John the Apostle. So St. Irenaeus was taught by a saint who was taught by an apostle, okay? St. Polycarp is actually in, in Scripture, although you wouldn't know it because they don't quote him by name. In the second chapter of the Apocalypse, when St. John Apostle is writing to the angel of the Church of Smyrna, that's who he's writing to. The angel of the Church of Smyrna is the bishop of Smyrna. That's Bishop St. Polycarp. Okay, anyway, St. Irenaeus is taught by St. Polycarp, who's taught by St. John. Now, because of all the terrible heresies that are breaking out in the lifetime of St. Irenaeus, around the year 180, he wrote a book entitled Against the Heresies. Now, remember, he's writing only about 80 years after the death of the last apostle, and he's been trained by a man who was trained by that last apostle. we'll quote from a Protestant translation you don't think I'm making this up for the sake of time we'll edit it slightly compress it I'll make a few comments as we go okay against the heresies book 3 chapter 3 St. Irenaeus quote a refutation of the heretics from the fact that in the various churches a perpetual succession of bishops was kept up it is within the power of all who may wish to see the truth to contemplate clearly the tradition of the apostles manifested throughout the whole world and we are in a position to reckon up those who were instituted by the apostles as bishops in the churches. And we are in a position to demonstrate the succession of these men to our own times, those men who neither taught nor knew anything of what these heretics rave about. Since, however, it would be very tedious to reckon up the apostolic successions of all the churches, we do put to confusion all those in whatever manner, whether by vain glory Blindness or perverse opinion assemble in unauthorized meetings, meetings not authorized by the bishops, established by the apostles. We do this, I say, by indicating that tradition derived from the apostles of the very great, the very ancient, and universally known church founded and organized at Rome by the two most glorious apostles, Peter and Paul. I'll read that again. We do that by indicating the tradition derived from the apostles of the very great, the very ancient, universally known church founded and organized at Rome by the two most glorious apostles, Peter and Paul. For it is a matter of necessity that every church should agree with this church. He means the church in Rome founded by Peter and Paul. On account of its preeminent authority, that is the faithful everywhere, and as much as the apostolical tradition has been preserved continuously. St. Irenaeus is telling people in about the 180s, if you're wondering what the true teaching is, if you're wondering who to listen to, just are these guys in line with Rome? Sound familiar? It should. The blessed apostles then, having founded and built up the church, committed into the hands of Linus, the office of the Episcopate. Linus... He's the second bishop of Rome, also known as the second pope. To him succeeded Anacletus. Anacletus is sometimes called Cletus. He's the third pope. After him in the third place from the apostles, Clement was a lot the bishopric. Clement is the fourth pope. You may have noticed these names in the canon of the mass, huh? They're in there. This man, Clement, as he had seen the blessed apostles and had been conversant with them, might be said to have the preaching of the apostles still echoing in his ears and their traditions before his eyes. Or was he alone in this, for there are many still remaining who had received instructions from the apostles. St. Irenaeus continues listing the popes from that time right up to his time. We could do it right to now, of course, but he, then he says, In this order and by this succession, the ecclesiastical tradition from the apostles and the preaching of the truth have come down to us. And this is the most abundant proof that there is not one and the same life-giving faith which has been preserved in the church from the apostles until now and handed down the truth, close quote, St. Irenaeus. What did St. Irenaeus just do? He said, if anyone wants to know the true faith of Jesus Christ, all he had to do was check with the teachings of the church in Rome, founded by the apostles St. Peter and Paul, and which was ruled by the successor of St. Peter, the bishop of Rome. That was true in the time of St. Peter. It's true in the time of St. Irenaeus. It is true in the time of the First Vatican Council. It's true today, and it will be true right until the end of the world. Now listen to what St. Irenaeus writes next. Against the Heresies, Book 3, Chapter 4, St. Irenaeus, quote, The truth is to be found nowhere else but in the Catholic Church, the sole depository of apostolical doctrine, Heresies are of recent formation and cannot trace their origin up to the Apostles. For she, the Catholic Church, is the entrance to life. All others are thieves and robbers. On this account, we are bound to avoid them. Dot, dot, dot. The tradition from the Apostles does thus exist in the Church and is permanent among us. Close quote. St. Irenaeus. The Catholic Church is entrance to life while others are thieves and robbers. On this account, are we bound to avoid them? The tradition from the apostles does thus exist in the Church and is permanent among us. Let's summarize. We've briefly considered two fundamental misunderstandings that produce a lot of confusion in the minds of modern American Catholics. One misunderstanding is about the unchangeable nature of the deposit of faith. And one misunderstanding is about the actual relationship between the Catholic Church and the deposit of faith. We've seen that the deposit of faith, which are those truths handed down by God to the apostles, can't change. It can never increase, it can never decrease, it can't change. We've also seen that once a particular truth has been officially explained by the church, then that meaning of that explanation can never change, okay? We briefly consider the actual relationship between the Catholic Church And this deposit of faith. We've seen that nothing essential has changed since the time of St. Irenaeus. As he taught in the 2nd century, the truth is to be found only in the Catholic Church, which is the custodian of the deposit of faith given to the apostles. Heresies couldn't trace their origin back to the apostles then, and they still can't. We've seen that God founded the Catholic Church in order to preserve and teach and explain the contents of this deposit of faith in order to preserve and teach and explain the true faith until the end of the world. Let's be really clear about what we believe. The Catholic Church makes some outrageous claims. The Catholic Church, right from the beginning, has boldly and publicly claimed to have been founded by God himself. Well, he was visibly present here on earth. Not only founded by him, but by commissioned by him to teach the one true faith to all mankind in his name. She claims to have the authority to teach the truths revealed by God in his name and by his authority. Today we've seen those claims go right back to the beginning. We've heard those very claims from a bishop who was taught by a bishop who was taught by St. John the Apostle. Now, if those claims are true... Or they're false. If they're false, if the Catholic Church wasn't actually founded by the Lord and the Apostles, if the Catholic Church doesn't actually teach the truth revealed by God in his name and by his authority, if the Church claims to speak for God, but is lying about it, then the Catholic Church is the most blasphemous, evil, diabolical, positively satanic organization that has ever existed. It's completely demonic. And we should treat it that way and run away screaming. But if those claims are true, if the Catholic Church was actually founded by our Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostles, and she was. And if the Catholic Church does actually teach the truths revealed by God in His name and by His authority, and she does. And if the Catholic Church is the one true church, and she is. And if there's no salvation outside of church, and there isn't, then we better listen up. And we better believe all the truths which the Holy Catholic Church teaches. All of them. Every last one of them. Whether they make us feel comfortable or not. It's all or nothing. There's only one true church. The Holy Catholic Church. There's only one true church. And it ain't a giant Burger King. And we don't get to have it our way.